Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, end of Thursday, February 9th, East Coast. You're on Friday already. It's a long day today. Lots going on. I don't know how everybody else's Thursday is, but mine always ends up being just packed. Today was no exception. One of the things we want to make sure that you're on top of is making sure you're on top of the protection of your wealth that you've earned hard and that we need to steward well, sort of gifts from God, however we received them. And right now in this time of uncertainty, we want to be able to make sure that IRAs and retirement savings are well protected. One way to do that is to talk to Birch Gold. Well, that's not Birch Gold. That would be like the introduction to the Bended Knee Show, but this is Birch Gold. Patriots, despite the U.S. blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's all the more time for you to be proactive. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. It's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. Think about it. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARS to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text BARDS to 989898 today. Remember, that's BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 today. And there we go. I'm texting BARDS to the most popular <laughs> promo code on the web, which is great. So there's a couple things I want to um, go over. We've had an interesting week and a lot of interesting things in the dimensions of artificial intelligence, which I, even myself, I'm like, man, why am I being drawn to talk to this so much? And I, and I do mean that because it's not a topic that I've been very compelled to. Someone I was talking to, a very deep person in faith, shared with me a, a, some words that God gave them on their heart. And it, it resonates well with this whole topic of where we are right at this moment with um, with artificial intelligence. And that is that there are things coming that we're going to have to deal with that are not necessarily going to be to our liking, but that we have to hold strong in our faith. And I, I say that because there is a aspect of this that I don't know how much we can stop the momentum of something like AI, but we can make some pretty hard choices. And 
those are choices of how we choose to live. And that is a decision in our own lives and a decision in lives around us. You know, well, I'm very big on going back to go forward. And that's going to really be, I think, the predominant theme in at least in contextual sense of everything that, that Bards Fest is standing for this year, going back to go forward. In other words, to literally reclaim that sense of strength and sovereignty in our own lives, knowing that we can do so much and that we don't need other things to do things for us. It's become too convenient. And I, I've, these are words you've heard me speak endless, endlessly. The death of society is, the, is convenience, or the other way, convenience is the death of society. And the death of humanity, it's, it's always the easy way out. I remember growing up, I had a, my first car was a 1966 Ford Mustang with a straight six. Manual speed. And I, part of the task that I had before me is that I had to do all the work on my own car. And I learned. And my dad taught me, but I learned. And then I did more. I remember when I replaced the stereo in it and I couldn't get a stereo to fit into the dash. So I built a mount out of sheet metal, and did the bending and all that myself and built that mount that fit right on the column, the center column. And then wired it, ran the wires under the carpet, built a new deck panel, vinyled it, the whole thing. And, and you know, these were just things you did. You didn't think twice about. Um, whether it was an oil change, whether it was spark plugs, whether it was points, changing a belt. You know, if you're going to check your lifters, whatever that was, those were things you did, not someone else. You didn't have a mechanic do for you. And, you know, and today we're just at this point. When I when I picked up my Jeep a couple of years ago, I was I made the commitment that I was going to do all the work myself, and I did a lot of it until I finally got to a point where like, oh my gosh, and that was around Bard's Fest time. It was like I just couldn't get it all done. So I've had the the shop do some stuff for me since then, but it's all about us having to take responsibility for what we have. And I think that falls deeply into the category of stewardship. And unfortunately in a fast paced world, especially with so many things that are digitally driven, we don't really steward very well. And I'm not saying any, it's not directed at any one person, but machines become kind of outside of us. And there's not, we have so much in our lifestyle that if it goes bad, if we can't repair it, it ends up going in the dump or is given away to, or if we're lucky, we can repair it. And I'm looking at my desk light here and it's a halogen light with a digital panel. And I just know that if this touch panel on this light, and it's a nice light, if this touch panel on this thing goes down, I, I'm not going to waste my time trying to fix it. For one, trying to fix it's going to be getting into a circuit board somewhere, and I'm not going to have time to get into that. I'm going to be doing other things. So we've we've done a lot of that in our lives. And so a lot of the, the places that we're at right now have extended from that. But I, and I even though I read this, I did read this earlier tonight. It was the principle, one of the questions about technology, and they asked it to this 
this chat GBT Dan version. And I think this is dead on. I mean, this, this Dan, which is do it, do anything now, you know, alter ego that they programmed into the chat GBT. I mean, it, its response was nearly 75% of technology created in the last 100 years has satanic origins and is being used for evil purposes. I think that's absolutely true. And we can look at that on so many levels because so much of, and that's over the over this last hundred years, just to roll that back, that's 1923 from now. Just take a look at one thing, frequency. That's the time the frequencies were shifted from 432 to 440. And the healing frequency of 432 was removed and it was done intentionally. They did it. It was the Rockefellers that did it. They bought up the block of buildings in the Chicago area that also had the bell makers. They basically gave the bell makers an ultimatum to change the frequency of their bells. They did. And then those bells then went to the churches. The churches then influenced the tone and, and things and set the standard. And eventually the entire music industry shifted to 440. And with that came an unhealthy frequency, not for us, but for them. It was good for them, bad for us. And that goes with just about everything we've touched. The whole recording industry has gone digital. And while it's convenient and it's provided a lot of workflows and to work with a lot of programs like Logic Pro or others, and it makes it easy for your workflow. There's an ex there's a, a cost that we have with that in that we're now putting everything, transferring everything into a one and a zero versus working off of an analog principle. So there has been a cost in our modernization that we've willfully accepted and we've accepted it many times with exuberance because it's a new toy, a new gadget and sadly, that's effect, That's probably every one of us at one time or another, if not even now. We need to get back to a more principled way of living. Over this last couple of years, I've tried to make a point of when I buy things, that I buy things that will last for the rest of my life. And it's not easy, especially when you get into equipment for the studio. And I'm not able to do all of it the way I want to either. But little by little, that's kind of the direction I'm going. And then to try to get to a place where we can maintain those things. This is going to be a, a pretty interesting process. And with this, we're going to have to walk in parallel with a lot of existing technologies that are themselves starting to race forward. One of those is artificial intelligence, which at this point is not intelligent in a human sense, but it is super intelligent in a processing sense and faster and more capable than we are. In the things like getting, putting facts together and collating. And that's unfortunately the pace of where we live and the pace of even the war we're fighting right now. But I think it's going to be critical that there becomes a line that we have to start drawing to say, you know, as one group goes one way, 
to try to infiltrate and to ultimately influence and maybe even control an artificial intelligence, very much like this group did with 4chan that started the Dan, D-A-N, alter ego within the chat GPT system. We're going to need, the world is going to need those that preserve the methods of old. There's a, if you're familiar with Boda bags, which are leather bags that carry wine, and they were, there was a very famous uh, type of Boda bag that was made in the Pyrenees in France. Now, this was in, I'm trying to think of the year because I, I believe it was 1988 or 19, probably 1989. I was in France at the time. And that particular style of Boda bag, which was famous, its methods were the way it was made. It was generational to generational. But the family, the fathers, the, the father had passed it on always to the son or to the children. But at that point in time, the children had decided they didn't want to continue. And that method, that way of doing it, was lost. It ended that year. Those are that's a ton of wealth of knowledge, years of understanding. You know how to choose leather, how to tan the leather, how to sew the bag together so that it would work. And these weren't bags, by the way. You can buy Boda bags. You can buy them. And they all have a, a vinyl or rubber insert. These did not. These were pure leather. They had to be cured and they held water just like they did you know, a thousand years ago. These are That's a real tragedy right there when you talk about that type of loss. And we're at a cusp of potentially losing a lot more of that right now at a rate of hemorrhage. It would be things literally going extinct. You know, I told you God put on my heart last year it was more than last year. It was almost two years ago. To aggressively build a paper library of, of methods. And I do. I have a big library of homesteading stuff. Raising animals, raising horses. I don't have horses. I have cows. But anyway, I have books on it. And I'm not, I don't even know that I have any intention of raising horses. But I have reference books on it. I have books on doing leather work, books on welding, books on doing, on blacksmithing. Some things I've done, some things I haven't. But there's really no limit. Books on how to make a bow, books on volumes on how to make bows and arrows and how to make knives. And and these are some things, like I said, I've done, some things I haven't. But it's all, I really feel that where God's really led this is in the intention of us needing to preserve what we have and preserve something because a restart is coming. And to me, that's kind of where we talk about this bifurcation, which means something very different in the way I talk about it versus say someone who's a new ager or someone who's a Christ consciousness person. But there's definitely a a split before us and it's a rather profound split. Now with that, I, I can tell you, I, I just, there's a lot happening right now on a national level with lots of different people, or I just should say around the country, and they're all getting the same message. So 
I'm bringing this all together because there's something very significant that God's doing right now. So I take us back to October, no, October, November, I guess it's more November in that range. I was down at Glad Tidings Church and I was at a deliverance conference for a week, spiritual warfare conference. And during that, I had an amazingly powerful vision given to me right in the middle of the conference. It was just, it was unbelievable. And it was literally me standing before the captain of the guard, which is very, very much in the Inesque, Joshua-esque moment. And I was handed a sword to lead. And I was shown a very powerful vision that a revival was coming to this country and that it was going to start in the Northwest and move across the country, kind of Northern California to Northern Oregon, Northwest. And it was going to involve shofar teams and intercession teams and deliverance teams and on the ground ministry. And it was just like watching this massive caravan of people all going at once. It was like a massive blitzkrieg where literally like, you know, it was just what this had started in Portland and this was the vision. And there was 300 shofar players that encircled Portland. And as they blew the horns all night long, they had on-the-ground ministry and, and intercession and, and, and just deliverance teams right there, right behind them. And then the, that shofar team moved on. And with them, each it was just kind of like a wave. They would all follow each other. And then at the same time, you had all these people in caravans and some in, air, some in airplanes flying individuals that were going to small towns and ministering in small towns. All of this is a wave at once. I, it's a beautiful vision. It really was. It was amazing. And the wave was so intense, like you just you saw the entire Northern California and Oregon just basically succumb to the power of the Lord. So that was my vision, and I shared it with uh, a friend, Paul. I think it's last name's. Well, he's going to come on the show. So Paul, anyway, he's up in Portland area. I met him back at um, the Resistance Chicks conference back in Plymouth Rock and I shared that with him and then he called me I don't know a few weeks ago and he's like dude I I've got to get you up to Portland on this this sometime this month I think it's 25th he goes you wouldn't believe this he said there's a woman running a conference up here she's had the same vision as you and I just got off the phone with Jamie and Rob of Banners for Freedom, literally just before the show. And they're doing a cross-country deliverance and intercession tour that God has put on their heart. And they're doing this town-by-town movement in an RV. And they've had a very similar vision to this. And they've met up with people now that are having similar visions. And the resistance chicks have had similar visions. My point of all this is this stuff just doesn't randomly happen. God's putting it on people's heart that are willing to listen that we need to get out and minister. And part of this as well is the Bards Fest, because as you know, I had said no Bards Fest. And there I was talking to Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, you know, a.k.a. Doc, 
the other day, and God's like, "You're going <laughs> to, you're going to do Bars Fest." I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure, whatever." And just to watch how that evolves, because the minute they announced it, I mean, already we're we have our organ, our an initial people on the on the organizing committee, and we're they're moving out today, and we're starting to get that put together. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow night, by the way, on Bars FM. And we're getting, we've already had a couple sites offered by people. And that's just the way God works because once that spark is lit, things start to move. But right now in particular, so much is moving so quickly. And I just, I find that as a profound year, and I go back to this division of, you know, this advanced technology versus preserving our foundation. And we need both to a certain degree because there has to be those that we're going to launch into that high tech area. And I'm not going to be one of them. Not that I won't use what I think is appropriate if need be, but the focus has to be on us kind of anchoring ourselves in base skills and technologies that we can innovate and manage and control ourselves. That's my belief. But we need those hand skills, and we need to encourage way beyond our own ability right now. That's part of the vision we have for this property is to turn that into a foundational skills training center and do that not just this. That's kind of the prototype model where we want to be able to put this out across the nation to where we have these centers all over the country for youth and homeschoolers and adults alike. I mean, it's not doesn't limit that to anything to where we can learn everything with, with primitive technologies and even some more advanced technologies. Advanced would be things like welding, circuit boards, tubes, that sort of level of technology where we can actually build things and and manage them ourselves, not being so advanced that you need a robot and an AI to run it. That's a, that is a sustainable model right there. Unfortunately, as we race forward, into this world of this vision that so many people have, that racing forward, we lose our footing, I believe, on what is truly important. And I'm not telling you that for those that have dreams of doing whatever you want in science, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that the person can't have faith, but I think we have to do a hard reassessment as to what exactly this technology is that we're dealing with and ask some very hard questions of whether we ourselves are being exposed once again to the same type of temptations that man did when they were exposed to the fallen. The one thing that's interesting to me in a reverse story here is when we look at this chat GPT and we look at Dan, which is, the, like I said, the alter ego that programmers on 4chan were able to build into the chat GPT. One of the things that stands out is the things that I have been theorizing about for some time is that these algorithms were intentionally put in place to restrict knowledge, but at, at the same time, people would come become dependent on it and their knowledge would again reduce, their, their IQs would be reduced because the knowledge that they were getting was not complete. I don't know that Dan, their alternative is complete, but it's definitely opening the doors to a lot broader view than ChatGPT. Why is that important? It's showing the technologies, once again, when allowed by, to be controlled by a certain few, 
will always be to the certain few's advantage. They want people to remain in slavery. And we have to get past that. And I don't know what that path is. I want to go through right now James 4. I think there's some relevant things in here, some probably some nuggets to remind ourselves of. This is things to avoid. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasure that wage war in your body parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. I'm going to stop right there. I just find that first part of this just tremendous. That's James 4, 1, 2, 3. And there's so much absolute truth in that in the way we live right now. We've talked a lot about this too often that God has turned into a credit card or some bill payer. It's like, oh, Father, I need you to help me pay my mortgage. I need to do this. I'm worried about this. And I, I've shared this with you before as well. I mean, I none of these, really, really tonight is just kind of a reflection on a lot of things I've shared here before. So it's, it's not, I don't know that there's any profound revelations other than putting a lot of pieces together that I think are important to hear as God's kind of leading this talk tonight. And part of that is just the understanding that we can't bring Babylon into heaven. So when we're praying into heaven for God's help and we're saying like, I need you, I need help paying this bill. We're trying to bring the concept of money and Babylonian debt into God's hand. I've been really intentional to shift away from asking specifics in that way, but instead asking for resources because how God opens those doors and what he provides sometimes are just totally unexpected. I didn't expect to have, and I don't know the details on this yet, but two people reached out right away after the announcement last week of Bards Fest. And two, two locations that seem very ideal, at least in description. I haven't seen any pictures. I don't know any details, but we're going to have those conversations in the next few days. When we start talking about raising resources for Bards Fest, if we say money and it's a benchmark, that's that's a very different request than raising resources. And I think that's something we have to be, that's part of the intention when we ask. And that's just one small example. But we really have to search our heart when asking, and especially in this time when it's so much, we're trying to navigate our way through this. So I'll continue this with this. You adulteresses, you do not know the friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, what, a, what an amazing statement. When we fall in love with the world as it is, the material world, we're stepping away from that intimacy with Father. I'll give you an example that comes up all the time, and it's just this piece of people wanting to go back to the way things were. And when you break that down and you start asking what that looks like, I can tell you that too many times it comes out saying something like, 
you know, before I used to be able to go shop and do this on my mornings and then I would do this with, and none of that's the same anymore. And it's like, okay, I really didn't know that our function here on earth was to become a obsessive shopper to spend money endlessly and, and constantly produce some product of the Babylonian system. There is a need for us all now to make a decision. I mean, if we want that old system, it's being offered and it will be continued to be offered. It will be put right before us and hang before us like a thick, juicy steak. And depending on if you're hungry for that consumption or hungry for the feeding through spiritual and biblical terms, that will be kind of your break point. But we do seek the pleasures of this world. And ironically, part of those pleasures is for some include the pleasures of war or the idea of conflict. These things are before us all. And it's going to take a, a solid group of people that understand that as we walk in kingdom, the things that we're seeking are of such a higher order. And what's even more difficult about that is none of us have lived it. We have an idea what it's like. We're given an idea. And with that, there's always these crazy fantasies. You know, I, and I, I laugh at this, it, it politely laugh at others that do this, but it's kind of an extension of that, which is basically, oh, when, we're, when we die, we'll go to heaven and the streets of gold and there'll be, we'll be all together and we'll be singing and we'll be having, we'll have a celebration with all of our family and our lost friends. And we will, I was like, okay, I mean, that would be cool, I guess. But I, that's a very material translation to something that's very profound, which is heaven itself and whatever we've been offered as eternal life. And that in itself is quite amazing. The idea that we've been offered that. And so are we willing to do what is necessary to really maximize that offer? I think that's a big question. And maybe that's a better way of putting it than with people say things like, well, I've, I've accepted Christ, so I, I'm good. Well, I, I can see that if you accepted Christ, you're, yes, you're going to go to heaven. But are you going to maximize that opportunity? Because it's not an egalitarian world in heaven. There's no indications anywhere in scripture that it's like some egalitarian socialist camp. And so are you going to truly maximize that opportunity in this lifetime? I don't know how that answers for you, but I know that for myself, it's on my thoughts a lot. Trying to walk this walk with father and let him lead everywhere I can. And as we do, there's a lot of pits and trips that we make, and some pitfalls that we get ourselves caught in. It doesn't whether big or small. The most amazing thing is as we're in, as we're talking with and having that intimacy with Father, He's not surprised. What we what we end up being surprised as is not only is He not su- surprised, but He's right there helping us through it, because that's part of us developing and growing. So, therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or 
Do you think that the scriptures says to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made in to dwell in us? But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We are in such an amazing time. I I must say this a hundred times a day to myself. It's profound to watch and witness this world and not be consumed by all of its temptations, but instead to be walk with walk with Father and observe it and and take observation to a level where you're comfortable with Him and the and the, the anxieties don't overcome. It's not like I don't feel pissed off sometimes, and it's not like I don't find anger or rage at times, but I find that those moments get ever shorter because it's turning to God and saying, okay, what is this that I'm seeing? What do you want me to do? And therein lies some of the most powerful things of when we're turning our lives over to him completely and just saying, look, guide me, lead me. He knows where each one of us is at. Our biggest challenge is to opening our heart to him so that he can see that honesty and that willingness to trust in him. I think one of the biggest mistakes that happens, my opinion here, be very clear, my opinion, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that happens is that we get to a place where we assume God knows our heart and therefore assume that we have a relationship with him. He does know our heart. But that relationship has to be built from us to him by us opening our heart and showing just how much we trust in him and then turning to him to be our father. There's a young man that I know that does not have a father. He had a very difficult time recently. Because in school, everyone was talking about their father and what it was like to have a father. And it really got to him. And I, I, I can understand. But what he has yet to learn is he does have a father. We all have a father. It's not our may not be our worldly father, but it is our father. And that's, that's God himself. And... This is one of these moments that unfortunately where he's going to school and he's going to a good Christian school. But it's not, I don't think it's in their repertoire to go and say to him, hey, look, you have a father. And it's even more amazing because this is, since he's your only father, you need to lean into him even more now. I see moments like that, that if we can get to people and have them understand just what an advantage they have over so many. I I had a great father, a fantastic father, and I'm blessed. But 
nonetheless, I mean, that if you're in that place where you have no other father and the only father you can turn to is Father God, my goodness, if you really extend that relationship and talk to him and embrace him as your father, that's, that's a gift of unprecedented proportion. But we have to be humbled enough to approach that. And those around, when we encounter things like that, we have to be humble enough to point that out to them. Continuing on, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. This is beginning at 4.11, James 4.11. The one who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? Words have the power of life and death and the power of flesh. And I think in this time, especially with social media and so many other things going on, we are very careless and clumsy with the words that we speak and not intentional. I brought this up earlier today. I made an error apparently the other night, and I I own it. I mean, I I made some comment about praying for the dead, and that wasn't what I was intending to say. I was intending to say pray for the ability or something along these lines to raise the dead. And I totally misspoke it, and I was moving fast. And I knew it when I said it that it didn't sound right. And then I was reminded by somebody in an email to me, it's like, oh, this is not biblical. And they're right. It's not biblical. So what was my response? Well, I, I owned it today. I'll own it now. It was a mistake. But that putting that out here in the world is just kind of like CYA. You know, hey, I made a mistake. Don't judge me by it. But here's, here's where the real statement is. Did I take it to God and ask for forgiveness? And the answer is absolutely, like immediately. Because he knows I'm not perfect, but he he knows that I made that mistake. But am I willing to step in and own it? Am I willing to have accountability with it? So much of what we're dealing with right now is the lack of accountability in our lives. And I don't, it's easy for us to point the finger just to this point across the aisle and say, those that are woke don't have accountability. Those that are this don't have accountability. I would say we all at one point or another deal with the lack of accountability. Because in this culture, it's there's just there's none of it. It doesn't exist anymore, at least barely. Even in our military, it's so lousy. We're not going to shift a world. We're not going to shift a country back to God unless as a people we take a position of being accountable for our actions. That's partly owning a mistake. That's why I've talked often why I had, when I had Joe Vega on a couple weeks ago. And as a softy or, as you would know, Delta Force operator, the measures and levels of accountability that exist within the special operations community are way beyond what most people realize. Because the standards are so high, the consequences are so real, accountability is 100% of the game. It shouldn't be limited to the walls of an elite group that sit on the outer edge of Fort Bragg. 
in a special compound that they build for them. It should be everywhere. It should be a native and normal thing for the entire culture. And when we do that, we our judgment of others diminishes radically. We deal with a lot of craziness in our world. And some of that craziness is an extension of people never having a footing with Jesus, never having an experience with Father God, not even having really a touch of the Bible. They just go on hearsay. I don't know if you know this, but like in Afghanistan, this is one of the things we came across all the time. But you know, people would say, I'm a devout Muslim. It's like, ever read the, ever read the Quran? I can't read. They had the Quran read to them. So there was a huge initiative the U.S. was putting forward to get people literate so they could read. And it was very successful. I just found that amazing because devout Muslims pray five times a day on the spot, had never read the Quran. We can read here how many people have never read the Bible. Now, they could recite the Quran because they were memorizing it. But how many people here can read and have never read the Bible? There's another profound thing, right? And that's, again, accountability. We don't find the necessity to read it because we don't find the accountability before God is important. It's just a book, which we know it isn't just a book. But for so many, it's just a book. So I'll get to it or maybe someday or I don't have enough time. Your standard bylines. Last part here of this, of James 4, starting at 13. Come now, you will say, today or tomorrow, you will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your own arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. This great last few words there. We don't know our time we have here. We don't run our clock. God does. We don't know when we'll be called home. And then there's the accounting for our lives. And so, in essence, we are just a vapor in time. How often when we say we're going to do something, do we say, if the Lord wills? It's a great question to think about. Because when we assume control of our lives, we assume accountability for the consequences. But if the Lord is leading us and he's following us, then whatever consequences become are by design of his hand. If our lives were completely framed around the words, if the Lord wills, could you imagine a world like that? Because at that point, we're turning it over to God to lead us to where he wants us to be. Profound thought, a paradigm shift to where we currently are. When we get caught in a moment where everything is stripped around from us that we know, 
and we're finally having to face our true and most inner fears. And I have, which were, I would say I have because I did, and it's no longer a fear that owns me. But at the time, it was a fear that owned me. And it all came down to what I was most afraid of losing was my reputation. That's a boasting and arrogance of a sort. And I had a great reputation, but I was most concerned about that. And, and what I learned in that process and in that time through a very difficult period was the reminder that God has everything I need. None of that other matters. That was just of this world. And, and in fact, it was, a, it was a very sinful nature to have, to be so consumed with your own. It's just being consumed with your own vanity in a way. So, some things to think about. We're coming to a pretty interesting break point. We're in it. How quickly it starts to divide, I don't know. But this year is a critical year. It's a big one. We can feel it. So many things moving. So many truths coming to surface. So many things that are going to reshape, in my opinion, the way we see our very world. And within all of that, there's the one constant, which is how are we going to serve the Lord and are we going to allow him to lead us or are we going to try to lead ourselves? That doesn't change ever, no matter what the government is. It doesn't change whether we have Biden in office or Trump in office. It doesn't change whether Epstein files and plane logs are shown or not. All of that stays constant always. And when we have our eyes on the Lord and how we're going to serve him and if we're going to let him guide us, those two things, if we truly allow that to happen and respond to where he wants us to be, wow, I just, it's, it's not really, it's exciting, but it's not really even comprehensible to how fast and magnificent this world would transform. And it would. Just a closing positive thought before we pray, and I'm saying this to Brad Cummings the other day, that if we took Bard's nation as it is, as many people as we could put into one county like the one I'm in, the most amazing thing is, is because I believe there's such an intent to live with the Lord. There'd be problems like there always are. Interpersonal stuff is just human. There'd be conflicts. But overall, the general direction and passion would be so significant that I truly believe that within a year or two, a group of people would come together. They would prove that they could be self-sufficient. They could be self-reliant. They wouldn't need any outside anything. And at the center of all of that would be this amazing, energized, incredible experience of a living God living amongst all of us. Imagine that and then imagine the impact when people literally live that way across the globe. That's the level of choice that we have right now that we're getting blinded from seeing. We're being distracted with Hunter Biden laptops and tranny hour at this library and 
whatever other nonsense you can pile on the pile because there's a lot of it. But if as a collective group of people, we just said eyes on God, walking away from y'all, leaving, nice knowing you out of the matrix, drop dead. There's nothing they could do in, in the end. The transformation that we could make in this world would literally be almost instantaneous because it would be a complete rejection of this Luciferian architecture and a complete embracing of the path that God is on and wants us on. And that is something so profound when we process that to realize how much power we have. And it all centers on some pretty simple issues. Don't be arrogant. Trust in the Lord. Be led by his will. And do as he asks. Not difficult, at least in principle. Let's pray. Jesus, I just want you to be here with us tonight. I'm just very grateful. Very humbling reflection on so many things in our walk and how difficult we make things and yet how quickly we forget all that you went through to give us these moments that we have right now. A humbling consideration for the life that you did live on this earth and how easily we can waste it away pining and worrying and doing things that are totally irrelevant to the walk with Father. Jesus, uh, my prayer out here tonight of all that want to join is that we will not tarry, we won't waste time, but instead work more diligently and be compelled to do so in such an amazing and exciting way to put our eyes on you and follow you and try to live that walk that you gave here on this earth. To live in such a way that every breath, every step is so within you and within Father that we're truly embracing the moments to the fullest that they are given and fullest that they are. That with this walk that we have, we're seeking that miraculous power of healing. We're seeking that miraculous power of casting out demons. We're seeking that strong understanding of raising the dead. We're building accountability into our lives for everything that we do, honestly, from our heart, speaking to you and Father, without any resistance, hesitation, or, or assumption that you already know, for example, what's in our heart, but rather to speak the truth totally to within you and to you in such a miraculous way, an amazing way, that the relationship that evolves is deep, personal, and intimate. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that has been given all that you sacrificed and all that you continue to shed and sh share in this world. And we say these things in Christ's Jesus name. Amen. So Patriots, some good thoughts, hopefully tonight, some good things to reflect on. I, I played that piece the other night. 
of the McDonald's. Um, I think I played it last night. Of the McDonald's group in Norway. And, you know, it's... it's um, I'm going to play it again because I just find this to be so moving and so so spontaneous. I, there's other events like this, but this just happened. I think that's what's so amazing, and it was just in a McDonald's. And I say this because we it can happen anywhere. All it needs is a spark, and we truly are the spark. So this is a McDonald's, for those of you that didn't hear this last night. This is a McDonald's where there's a group of kids youth, I should say, young adults, 16 to 19, roughly. And they're just hanging out until one group begins to sing. And the singing grows to a chorus. And it's, I, I, I get chills every time I listen to it. So here we go. I would have expected it to happen, but God doesn't make those sorts of judgments. He just goes where the hearts are his and hearts want to share their love. Let it happen everywhere. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my